So this is not how I wanted to start the show today. I wanted to start the show today mocking former President Barack Obama for throwing a birthday party for himself with 700 people as the White House claims that we are in the middle of a COVID crisis. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment. More important things are preempting the beginning of our show today. And by more important things, I mean more egregious things. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that there will be a vaccine mandate in New York City. Now, this vaccine mandate is perhaps the slimiest, smarmiest strategy from the radical left because they know, by the way, that what they're doing is wrong. Leftists know that vaccine mandates are wrong, ethically, morally, probably legally. And how do we know that Democrats know that their mandates are wrong? Because they use this smarmy tactic. If they thought it was okay to mandate vaccines, they would just do it. They would have Bill de Blasio say, every single person, I require you to get a vaccine. And if you don't, we'll hold you down and jab you. But they don't do that because they know it's wrong. So what they do instead is they mandate that private businesses serve as the enforcers of the government. Bill de Blasio is forcing gyms and restaurants and entertainment venues like shows to force anybody who comes into their establishment to prove that they're vaccinated. How slimy is that? So these business owners who are trying to make a living, provide for their families, just mind their own business, doing business, are now against their will government enforcers. And if they don't serve as government enforcers, then they risk penalty under the law. They risk the wrath of Bill de Blasio. Because Bill de Blasio wants to force people to get vaccines, but he knows it's the wrong thing to do, so he won't do it himself. He takes the cowardly way out. So just for some context here, the people in our country at this point who don't want to be vaccinated have made the active choice not to be vaccinated. And it is their right to make that choice. That's what medical freedom is. You have autonomy over your own body. Somebody else, a government official or a private sector entity, cannot force you to do something to your body that you don't want to do. The vaccine is widely accessible. The narrative from the left is also widely accessible. If you want the vaccine, you can get it. You're free to get it. If you want it, I'm happy for you. Great, I'm glad you have the opportunity to get it. If you don't want it, I don't care. It's none of my business. I do not care what you do. Bill de Blasio wants people, wants to coerce people so badly to get this vaccine that he was offering people $100 in incentive to get the vaccine. And still, still, I think it was like 11,000 additional people did get the vaccine for the $100, but still people are refusing. You can't, you literally not figuratively, you literally can't even pay people to get this vaccine. So Bill de Blasio mandates it. So think about this in the big picture. This vaccine is not FDA approved. This is an experimental medical treatment. Now, again, if you wanna get it, be my guest. Go ahead, get it. I don't care, your business, your body. But a government official is forcing people if they want to take part in society and to live in New York City, make no mistake, you have to go to the gym, you have to go to restaurants, and you probably want to go to shows. This is normal life in New York City. But if you want to participate in normal life, you have to subject yourself to an experimental treatment. Not FDA approved. I mean, this is so beyond anything that we should tolerate as the American people. It's astounding that politicians think that they can get away with this. Where does this end? This is not a rhetorical question. This is a very literal question. What is the limiting principle on this? If a government official can use the power of his political office to coerce citizens who are minding their own business 
to subject themselves to an experimental medical treatment or else they can't take part in their own city, then what can't a politician do? What can't a politician mandate that we do with our bodies? And not only where does this end, where does this start? How on earth does Bill de Blasio think he has the right to do this from a legal perspective? The CDC itself, and I, I, I by the way, would not even agree with this premise, but even, even if the CDC called what's happening with COVID-19 a health emergency, that would probably be the justification that leftists would use to mandate this vaccine. The CDC is not even calling this a health emergency. So what possible right, what possible justification, what possible rationale does Bill de Blasio have for mandating this vaccine? Or you can think about it from this way. I have no idea what kind of exemptions there'll be for this mandate. By the way, it's going to begin in August, but it's not going to be enforced until the middle of September, so says de Blasio's office. I have no idea if there's exemptions for religious reasons, for medical reasons, exemption for children who are not qualified even under emergency authorization use by the FDA to get this vaccine. But think about this for a second. Think about if you have a medical issue that prevents you from being able to get this vaccine. And this, your, your medical information, by the way, is yours personally. That's your private information. Are you now going to have to divulge your personal, private, medical information to public establishments, private businesses? Are you gonna have to tell them all about things that are wrong with your body in order to explain to them why you haven't gotten the vaccine and why you can't go into the store? I mean, it, it feels, if, if, it feels almost like you've been robbed. The violation of your privacy is so extreme in this situation. Can you imagine wanting to go get pizza and having to tell somebody about your autoimmune disorder or whatever other? I don't even want to give an example here because if I give an example of a medical condition that would, that would cause you to um, believe that this vaccine was either dangerous to you or it could harm your health. The left is just gonna tell me that that medical condition, it's fine for people with that medical condition to get the vaccine. You and your doctor, or you yourself, are the best judge of whether a vaccine is going to harm your person based on your pre-existing medical conditions. But imagine having to tell either a private business publicly or a government official what your medical conditions are in order to be allowed to participate in society. That's so disgusting. That's such a violation of your liberty. And again, taking this to its logical conclusion, if this really is about public health, if this really is about unvaccinated people being a danger, or even if the government says they're protecting you from yourself, they don't want you to get COVID-19, okay, so are they going to make mandates about every other aspect of our health and well-being, every other aspect of our life? What would stop them from mandating that we all eat broccoli and go to the gym for four hours every day so that we're in the peak, peak physical condition so that our immune systems are the strongest so that we're at the least risk of dying from not just COVID-19, but anything. This is tyranny. This is dictatorship. This is not the role of government. The role of government is to protect our individual liberties from enemies, foreign and domestic. This, we're, we're not a system of government where our government is big daddy government, where they get to tell us how to live based on what they think is best for us, how they think we should live our lives. No, we're a free country. We're a free country. But maybe this shouldn't surprise us coming from de Blasio. I believe his daughter was part of the Marxist Black Lives Matter riots in the streets of New York City. 
that committed arson, that committed, I don't know what she did, but the riots themselves destroyed the city. She was arrested during these riots. But this is what happens. This is what happens when we allow politicians to claim that something's an emergency and maybe our rights are suspended in a state of emergency. No, there's no caveat in the, in the constitution that says in times of emergency, when public health officials are worried that you might contract a germ, that your rights are suspended. So here's what I wanna know today. I wanna know what will the people do? What will you do? What will business owners do? This is, this is a canary in the coal mine, I think, for our whole country. When people ask, do you have hope for our nation? What direction do you believe our country is going to take over the next few years? Are the radical leftists going to win? This New York City and this vaccine mandate, this is a canary in the coal mine. What will the people do? Will business owners rise up and say, we're not your enforcers. You're acting like the mafia. We're not gonna do your dirty work. We're not gonna force citizens to divulge their private medical information in order to run our businesses. Are people going to refuse to comply? Are they going to call out Democrats' slimy strategy? Or are they going to cave like sheep? Are they going to comply with this? And that is the question. What will we, what will you, the people do? I'm Liz Wheeler, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. It's not just New York City. Shady, shady things are happening in the state of New York, and we'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk to those of um, us on this show, the Liz Wheeler Show community, whose biggest problem might be that they're bald. Normal people, that should be your biggest problem. Not what Cuomo, not what de Blasio are dealing with right now. So let's talk about Nutrafol for a second. So if you are a man who is uncomfortable with hair loss, if you wish you had um, a thick, full head of hair, a la John Stamos, then maybe Nutrafol is for you. Nutrafol is a holistic solution. It is not a pharmaceutical, which I know would be important to me, and I assume it is important to a lot of other people. Um, Nutrafol has been shown to help men grow thicker, healthier hair. It increases scalp coverage, and it does so without decreasing sex drive, which I've heard um, is the primary reason that men don't like to use these products because it decreases your sex drive. Not so, I've heard, with Nutrafol. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show, win-win, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code LIZ to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Don't forget that promo code Liz if you want to support the show. Nutrafol.com. So Governor Cuomo is a scumbag, an absolute scumbag, and he's in big, big trouble. Not actually for the reason that you might think. You'd think that Cuomo would be in trouble because his actions led directly to the death of thousands and thousands and thousands of elderly people in New York, but no. That's not why he's in trouble. Take a listen to why Cuomo uh, is under fire today. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former 
New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment. New York Attorney General, not a conservative. So first of all, absolutely disgusting. Second of all, can you believe this is what's going to take down Cuomo? This is what's gonna take down Cuomo. Not thousands of dead bodies in nursing homes. Now, that is not to say I don't condone in any way. I mean, it's disgusting what Cuomo did. I absolutely condemn what Cuomo did. He's a pig, but liberals don't care about the thousands of actual dead people, the blood on his hands. They're not gonna speak up unless this happens unless it suits their own political narrative. Let me, let me actually read you. I, so I have, I have this information up. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up. This is what Cuomo actually did. And this, I mean, it's so graphic. It's so disgusting. This is what he did. He grabbed his assistant's breast under her blouse. He uh, groped the back and the stomach of a state trooper. Like, what a, Cuomo, what is wrong with you? He asked for help finding a girlfriend who can handle pain. Like I said, total pig. He told a young aide he wanted to be touched. Disgusting. He kissed employees of his on their lips against their will. He squeezed the behinds of staffers and groped the chest of another woman. And he retaliated against these women when they uh, reported him. How disgusting can one person be? Actually, this, this perhaps shouldn't surprise us because these actions that Cuomo has committed, these actions of at least sexual harassment, if not sexual assault, if he's groping people and kissing people against their will, then that could be sexual assault. Perhaps this shouldn't surprise us because this is the action of a man who does not value the dignity of other people, right? This is the action of a man who views people only as objects, not as daughters and sons of the king, not as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's exactly what underpins Cuomo's behavior on nursing homes. He thinks he is too big to fall. He thinks that he plays by a second set of rules. He thinks that Democrats will never turn on him because first he issued the mandate forcing nursing homes to accept COVID positive patients, even though they knew that COVID-19 was deadly for vulnerable populations in nursing homes. And then they manipulated the data. They lied about the number of people that had died in nursing homes in order for Cuomo to get his book deal, to sell books, and to maintain his reputation and his presidential hopes. The words corrupt politician don't even begin to describe Governor Cuomo. Watch every single Democrat. Watch what they say. Watch whether they call for him to step down and watch whether Democrats have been silent up until now. Because what's going to happen now is there's going to be a token tidal wave. So when I say a token tidal wave, there's going to be a blip of media attention calling for Cuomo to step down because otherwise, you know, media heads and the mainstream media and Democratic politicians will be called um, hypocrites because they didn't, they didn't stand up for these women and they had claimed to support the Me Too movement. There will be a blip of media coverage and then there'll be silence because Cuomo will refuse to resign. And we know that when Democrats refuse to resign, even when they've set the standards for what should constitute an offense worthy of resignation, Democrats don't have to play by the rules that they set. They stay in office, just like Ralph Northam did. Cuomo will stay in office and Democrats won't have a problem with the thousands of dead bodies 
or with his crimes. So now, finally, we're getting to how I wanted to open this show today. I wanted to open the show with a laugh because you literally can't make this stuff up. The Democrats, as I said yesterday in the show, they don't believe in their own COVID hysteria. They don't believe in their own dictates about masks and vaccinations and social distancing. They just want you to obey them. They don't think that it applies to them. We saw that with uh, Washington, D.C. Mayor Bowser. She issued a mask mandate, and then she went and officiated a wedding maskless, went to a reception maskless, took pictures with people very close maskless, and when a reporter asked her why she was breaking those rules, she just ran away like a little coward. Well, Barack Obama is throwing a 700-person birthday party in Martha's Vineyard amid the White House's manufactured COVID crisis. 700 people, that's a lot, but get this. There's 475 people that are confirmed to attend on his guest list. 200 staff members. 200 staff members. Can you even imagine a party with 200 staff members? I mean, talk about living the life of the rich and elite and contradicting the White House's COVID hysteria. But instead of condemning this, because you can be sure that if this was President Trump, for example, oh, the White House would condemn. If this were conservatives, oh, the White House would condemn that too. But because it's Barack Obama, the White House dodges and defends. Take a listen to this. Okay, and then just about COVID safety. Uh, is President Obama setting the wrong example about how serious COVID-19 is? by hosting a big birthday party with hundreds of people this week? Well, I would certainly refer you to uh, the team who is working for my former boss to give you more specifics of what the protocols are in place. But I would note first that former President Obama has been a huge advocate of individuals getting vaccinated. Uh, when CDC provided, has provided, what CDC has provided guidance on is for indoor settings in high or substantial high zones of COVID cases. This event, according to all the public reporting, is outdoors and in a moderate zone. But in addition, there is testing requirements and other steps they are taking, which I'm sure they can outline for you in more detail. But is there any concern, just because as you've said here, and you've had people saying over the last couple of days, vaccinated people can still spread this Delta variant uh, around. So is there concern that this President Obama birthday party might become a super spreader event. Well, I think, Peter, the guidance is about what steps people can take uh, when they're in public settings. Indoor settings specifically was the new guidance to keep themselves and others safe. In terms of what protocols uh, they are taking, I would refer you to them, and I'm sure they can give you more details. And just last one. So people who are watching this at home and they see, well, President Obama can have a party with several hundred people. Should they think that it is okay for them to have a party with several hundred people now? Well, we certainly advise everyone to follow public health guidelines, uh, which I know the former president, who is a huge advocate of getting vaccinated, of following the guidance of public health experts would certainly advocate for himself as well. So how difficult would that have been for Jen Psaki to admit, yeah, that's a bad example given what I'm saying up here every day. Yeah, that could potentially be a super spreader event, just like, you know, every other gathering of conservatives, um, just like they have said, the left has said every other gathering of conservatives was or is. And um, of course she should say, well, if it's okay for President Obama to do it, of course it's okay for everybody else to host large gatherings because we don't play by two set of rules in this country. <laughs> but wait, no, no, the left believes that. They actually do believe in two sets of rules. So as I said, this is humorous, but it's not. It's humorous to watch them, to get these examples that prove to us that they're wild hypocrites, but it's not funny that they're actually living that way while forcing us to live another way.
Um, the other ironic part of this is this party, this whopping humongous bash is going to be thrown in Martha's Vineyard. According to the New York Post, um, and I'm quoting the New York Post here, the party comes just days after health officials on the tiny island issued a mask advisory even for vaccinated people while indoor, while in indoor public spaces because of rising cases of the highly contagious Delta variant. And Martha's Vineyard is also close to Provincetown, Massachusetts, where a spread among vaccinated people over July 4th prompted controversial new mask guidelines from the CDC. Again, can't make this up. Totally different life if you are uh, a self-considered celebrity like Barack Obama is and therefore above the recommendations of the CDC for us sorry people. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So Christy Noem, let's talk about her for a second, because if ever there was a disappointment to conservatism bought off by special interests, it's Christy Noem, Governor Christy Noem. First, she caves on, she's caved multiple times, by the way, multiple times. And I'm an equal opportunity, I equal opportunity uh, critique here. If you're a Democrat and you're a hypocrite, I'll criticize you. If you're a Republican and you're a hypocrite, I'll probably criticize you even more because I expect higher standards from you. Noam deserves it here. So first she caved on uh, transgender sports, right? She, there was a bill in the state that would have banned biological men from competing in women's competition, but she caved on that because of the NCAA and the US Chamber of Commerce. And the reason she caved is because her staff was shady. Her staff was tied to lobbyists. She refused to sign this bill um, because one of her top advisors is named Matt McCauley. And Matt McCauley is one of those um, political behind the scenes sort of power brokers, if you will. And Matt McCauley has other clients besides Governor Nome. These other clients include Sanford Health. Sanford Health owns Sanford Sports Complex. Sanford Sports Complex wants to host NCAA tournaments. The NCAA, in the case of this transgender athlete bill that protected biological girls, they were threatening, you know, not to participate in um, state-sanctioned competitions or whatever their threat exactly was. But um, this lobbyist who also works for Nome obviously didn't want to lose that business. So did he recommend that Nome not sign this bill? Who's to say? We're not behind the scenes, but it looks an awful lot like something like that could happen. Similarly, Nome's chief of staff's name is Tony Venhusen. He's on the board of the Sioux, Fall Chamber, Sioux Falls Chamber of Commerce, and that was another group that uh, did not want this transgender sports bill to pass. So, like I said, her staff is pretty shady, pretty tied to outside interests, and that wasn't the first example of it. In 2020, she also refused to sign a bill to ban puberty-blocking medication that chemically castrates children. She refused to sign a bill to ban that in children suffering from gender dysphoria. Why? Again, because the Chamber of Commerce did not want her to sign this bill and her staff is tied to the Chamber of Commerce. They have interest there. So um, we're getting to the latest offense from Governor Noam here. So we, ba we basically need, I've said this so many times, we need Republicans in office to play offense. They can't just play defense. They can't just verbally point out what the radical left is doing that's bad, what the radical left is doing that needs to stop. We need them to actively put the Democrats on defense. And DeSantis is the best example of this in our nation right now. He didn't just refuse to make mask mandates. He gave parents the choice to refuse 
to have their child wear a mask in school. He didn't just ban critical race theory in school. He mandated that children be taught that communism is bad and that patriotism is good. That's an example of not just playing defense, of playing offense. And here's where Noam failed. This is her tweet about vaccine mandates in the private sector. She said, and I quote, workers who employers whose employers are mandating a vaccine for continued employment have the power to say no. A robust economy and job market gives them the option to find a new employer that values personal choice and responsibility and doesn't force mandates on their employees. End quote. So Noam is saying, oh, too bad if your employer mandates that you get the vaccine or else get fired. She's not going to do anything about it, even though she's the governor and the leader of the Republican Party in the state. She's doing nothing. Too bad for you if you lose your job, if you refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. So third fail for Christy Noem. I don't know how anyone can have confidence in this woman because every time she's faced with, every time she's faced with this pressure from the radical left, she caves. Now, this is not to say that she hasn't done good things in office. She has, but she's not fit for higher office based on her track record. Based on her track record, she caves under the pressure. If she was actually committed to using her, her office to play offense on COVID-19 instead of just tweeting about it, this is what she would do. This is how conservatives should play offense on COVID. They should make vaccination status a protected employment class. That would mean that employers could not fire employees if they declined to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Christy Noem would actually advocate that the state legislature take the governor's emergency powers away so that governors could not shut down businesses even in the face of an emergency. And I say that, I say that uh, ironically, quote unquote emergency. Christy Noem should ban mask mandates coming from local officials at the state and the local level. She should prohibit government officials from shutting down private business under the guise of an emergency, even without the legislature. She should do what she can to prevent that from ever happening again. She should empower parents to choose masks or not for their children in school, not just by setting the policy, but by codifying that into law so that subsequent administrations can never, never abuse that power. She should also advocate, champion, and codify school choice so that teachers' unions who are advocating for these unscientific mask mandates lose their power in public schools. And she should refuse to bail out any kind of big businesses that are willing to lose money by enacting federal government-encouraged private sector quasi-mandates. She should also ban vaccine passports all the way, not just on government property or from government entities. And she should loudly, since she does have a voice, she's a Republican governor in the United States of America, she should publicly call for an audit of the NIH and the CDC. That's what you do if you want to play offense against COVID-19. You don't just sit there and whine about mandates. You don't just tweet about it. You don't just say, well, too bad. You can find another job. That's what the free market's all about. No. If you want to play offense, this is what you do. And if you don't do this, then you're really not a fighter. And Republican voters want a fighter. So yesterday, I talked a lot about the CDC because we were talking about mask mandates. And I said, don't get me started on CDC corruption. Well, today, let's get started on CDC corruption. 
Um, what, what I hope is drawn from this little history of absolutely appalling, literally your jaw will drop when you hear what the CDC has covered up in the past. My hope is that our takeaway from this is that we should always be skeptical. We should always be skeptical, especially when someone or some entity portrays themselves as an expert. And because they portray themselves as an expert, they also portray themselves as someone who can't be questioned. Be very, very skeptical. Ask all the questions. Require all the proof. And here's why on the CDC. By the way, Technofog on Substack, if y'all don't follow him, I highly recommend that you do. He has a much broader report on um, on what we're about to talk about, what I'm about to talk about um, right now. This is the cliff notes, if you will, and even the cliff notes are act- absolutely shocking. So follow along for this little ride uh, back in history to show just the literally deadly cover-ups staged by the CDC. So Agent Orange is a chemical herbicide used, or was a chemical herbicide used in the Vietnam War. Most of us have heard of this. It was an absolutely lethal um, mixture of all kinds of chemicals. It was manufactured by Dow Chemical and Monsanto and others, but those are the two primary. Um, And it was manufactured at the instructions of the United States government. Again, this was used during World War II. From 1962 to 1971, the U.S. Air Force sprayed 11 million gallons of this poisonous herbicide in Vietnam. Now, the reason that it was so toxic is that during production, a dangerous byproduct was formed called dioxin TCDD. Now, dioxin TCDD was basically the highest level of toxic, the highest level of toxic. In fact, as Technofog points out, um, it was so toxic, the damages were calculated not in years, but in decades or even centuries. Now, you might think, well, maybe Dow Chemical, maybe Monsanto didn't know that how serious, how toxic Agent Orange and its byproduct of dioxin were. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I can't even say that with a straight face. Of course they knew. Of course they knew. In fact, they got together. Four chemical companies who competed against each other actually gathered in 1965. Um, They gathered at Dow Chemical because they wanted to discuss dioxin. They wanted to discuss the hazards of dioxin. And during this meeting, they weren't talking about, oh, how should, we, how should we take care of this toxicity? How do we avoid the toxicity? No, they were aware that this caused liver damage in animals. They were aware of the birth defects that this caused um, or that this would cause in humans. But they didn't care. During this meeting, they wanted to keep the toxicity a secret from the U.S. government because they didn't want more regulations on the chemical industry. So they plotted together to hide this from the U.S. government. Now, the U.S. government actually knew all along that this, uh, that this Agent Orange was this toxic. It didn't matter that the chemical companies were trying to cover it up. They were trying to hide it. The U.S. government knew. They knew that dioxin caused birth defects in mice. So if something causes birth defects in mice, that's a good indication that it's going to cause birth defects in humans. And that's exactly what happened. The children of Vietnam veterans have an extremely high rate of birth defects because of Agent Orange. In 1967, there's evidence that the U.S. government knew that Agent Orange was killing innocent people outside of war zones. And they knew that the toxicity 
wasn't an effort, wasn't propaganda effort from the Viet Cong. They knew that it was factual and real. They knew it caused birth defects. They knew there were serious, serious health problems linked to this agent they were using. You ready for the CDC's role in this? In the 1980s, Dow Chemical was sued by about 20,000 Vietnam veterans or their widows or their children. And Dow Chemical, in the face of this lawsuit, blamed the U.S. government, saying the U.S. government wanted us to do this. We were acting under the instruction of the U.S. government, so we, as the chemical company, should be immune from liability. Fast forward a couple years later, that number, the 20,000 in that lawsuit had grown to 35,000. Now there were cancers that were developing, skin diseases, and proof of birth defects in children whose fathers were in Vietnam at the time of Agent Orange. So the CDC, the CDC in 1987 deliberately stopped any evaluation of the exposure that veterans in Vietnam had suffered under Agent Orange. The CDC, on purpose to avoid liability, lied. They said the records, the military records, were insufficient to determine which troops, which troop movements had been exposed to this toxic chemical. This is their words. The CDC lied. They said, it is unlikely, therefore, that military records can be used to identify a large number of U.S. Army veterans who might have been exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam. And then they did something shady. Remember yesterday when we were talking about the methodology of studies and how, um, how public health officials or even scientists who are corrupted by politics hide manipulation in the methodology of studies to skew the result of the study to support their preferred public policy, um, public policy agenda. That's what the CDC did back then too. When they were looking at veterans from Vietnam, Vietnam veterans and their families and their children, and whether these families had been harmed by toxic levels or by levels of toxic dioxin, they looked at just the current level of dioxin in the bodies of these people as an indicator of exposure. But that's obviously manipulative because when you're there and being exposed to it, the level is going to be higher. And years and years and years later, maybe it's less in your body. But does that mean it wasn't high? It wasn't high enough to harm you or your family at the time you were exposed to it? The CDC manipulated data in order to produce the results. They wanted to cover up what they had done. Now, back then, there were some scientists who actually had integrity. And yes, that's a shot at many of the scientists now who are corrupted by politics or afraid. But back then, Scientists said, that's not, how, that's not how it works. That's not how you would determine whether this exposure was toxic to these Vietnam veterans. They actually, these scientists testified to Congress about this. But the CDC at the time was run by a man named Dr. Vernon Houck. And, or he was in charge, I should say, of the CDC's Agent Orange study. And he was the head of the CDC's Center for Environmental Health and Injury. And he published misinformation. He published fake news. He used the CDC, his position at the CDC and his position as head of this program to cover up what the U.S. government had done. So we have the CDC, an agency, a sub-agency of the Department of Health and Human Services, an executive agency covering up what the government had done and ultimately used this fake news to deny benefits 
to Vietnam veterans, their spouses, and children harmed by Agent Orange, which had been used in full knowledge of its toxicity by the US government. So what's the point of talking about this story aside from the fact that it is appalling? The point is the CDC has a long and sordid history of covering up for the left, of covering up crimes, of pretending to practice science, but actually propagating ideology instead. So because the CDC says something should mean less than nothing, less than nothing to us. We should always question them because they're corrupt to the core. Speaking of corrupt to the core, let's talk about the infrastructure bill for a second. This, this, uh, this is so frustrating to me, how Republicans have acted on this quote unquote bipartisan infrastructure. One trillion dollar infrastructure bill, as if that's a win because you brought it down from what, three, four, five trillion dollars. There's $550 billion in new spending in this bill. If I were a member of Congress right now, I wouldn't give a dime of money to anything unless all the government agencies, all current appropriations were audited for waste, fraud, and abuse. And then maybe you can take all that money that you would find that's being wasted, that's being used fraudulently, or that's been abused, you can give that to a pet project or back to the American people who you took it from in the first place. So Congress, the Democrats, their talking point right now is that this infrastructure bill, this scaled back infrastructure bill, $1 trillion is scaled back, what a joke, is fully paid for, they say. Do not believe them. You will pay for it. You will just pay for it later. It's more trickery. Congress is lying. But here's how you know that this is just typical Washington, D.C. swamp behavior. So Senator Joe Manchin is one of the Democrats who was not in favor of the $5 trillion infrastructure um, extravaganza. It was basically the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and all the socialist uh, wish list of the left all wrapped up into infrastructure. Senator Joe Manchin was not a fan of that. So he was the one who essentially forced the Democrats because they needed his vote. He forced the Democrats to, quote, scale back to just $1 trillion. Well, enter Washington, D.C. swamp politics. In this version of the bill, Senator Manchin's wife, Gail Connolly Manchin, gets $1 billion to her group. $1 billion to her group. She chairs the Appalachian Regional Commission. It's an economic development partnership between the federal government and 13 Appalachian states. She serves, she serves with a co-chair. Guess who her co-chair is? Guess. Democratic Governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. Yep, they're leading that together. She gets a billion dollars, a billion dollars. She was appointed to her post, by the way, by Joe Biden. So <laughs> swamp creatures, oh yeah, they need Manchin's vote. Here, let's give your wife a billion dollars. Maybe then you'll vote for my bill. No conflict of interest there is there. But as for this claim that this $1 trillion bill is fully paid for, no. Just no. Absolutely not. It's shady accounting. And here's a couple of, of examples of what I mean when I say this is shady accounting. So take Medicare accounting for a second. This bill would extend Medicare provider payment cuts by a year through 2031. They are counting this. The Democrats are counting this as saving $9 billion. That's their claim. But what's going to happen when hospitals protest 
about their providers not getting reimbursed to the level that their providers want for Medicare reimbursements. Well, Congress is gonna override this extension. Of course they will. That's what they always do. Congress knows this, the Democrats know this. They're claiming that it would save nine billion. They have no intention of saving that. They're just kicking the can down the road a little bit so that they can tell you that they're saving $9 billion. That's one example. Another example is they're suspending uh, Trump's Medicare anti-kickback rule through the year 2025. So this bans rebates that drug makers pay to Medicare Part D pharma uh, benefit managers. And the moral of that story is that uh, this anti-kickback rule increases government spending. Here's the kicker though. The Democrats are claiming that they will save $49 billion by uh, suspending this rule but Congress never paid for it to begin with. You can't spend, you can't save money that you haven't actually spent yet. They're now claiming to save by delaying implementation. It's just a lie. They're just doing shady accounting, moving money around in a way that makes it seem like they're saving, but they're not. And yet they're claiming that that saves $49 billion. They're also claiming that they saved $53 billion because of unemployment benefits. The truth here is that there were 26 Republican states that ended the federal unemployment, the, like the COVID uh, unemployment benefits, the $300, they ended that early to incentivize employment. So this so-called savings of $53 billion actually comes from uh, Republican states who had better policies in the federal government. That's not exactly saving money. But this is what, this is what the Democrats claim. This is what they claim is, bipartisan. This is what they claim is scaled back. This is what they claim is fully paid for. So watch exactly which politicians vote for this. Watch which politicians fall for this. Watch which politicians are afraid to push back on this. Watch which politicians don't care about spending away our children and grandchildren's fortune and making our country so wrapped up in debt, it's a literal national security risk. And then once you've identified which politicians fall into these categories, vote them out of office, please, because this infrastructure bill is a joke. Voting no should be counted as infrastructure. So a new congressional report uh, has found evidence that COVID-19, the virus, leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Yeah, no dip. No kidding. Duh. We've said this all along. I'm glad there's a congressional report. I'm not trying to mock the report. I'm just saying, yeah, you're a little late to the game. We've been saying this for months and months based on the evidence. But this report was released by the minority staff, meaning the Republicans on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The ranking member there is uh, Congressman Mike McCall. So this report concludes that the virus likely leaked in Wuhan, China out of that lab in the summer of 2019. The summer of 2019. Um, the report concludes that there were unsafe conditions in the lab, again, Nothing that we don't know here, although it's nice that, the, that Congress, at least the Republicans, are doing their due diligence finally. So the report said that there was dangerous genetic modification research happening on coronaviruses at unsafe biosafety levels at this lab. Um, that these researchers had the ability to genetically modify coronaviruses as early as 2016 without leaving any trace of that modification. That's actually really critical. That's one of the parts that I wanted to talk about today because... At the very beginning of this pandemic, when we were saying, where did this virus come from? What's the origin here? There were scientists in the United States and scientists that spoke through the World Health Organization who were publishing opinions about whether or not this virus's DNA looked genetically modified. And they were saying, it doesn't appear to be genetically modified. We don't see it. And they were portraying themselves as experts in this field 
But literally years and years and years before this, that China in this lab already had the ability to make modifications without leaving a trace. If you're actually an expert in your field, you should know that. Which leads me to believe these scientists who were saying that they didn't see any trace modification, they knew that China was unable or was able to manipulate without a trace modification. They just didn't care. They just didn't care. Again, back to what I said before, question authorities, question so-called experts. So if this virus was leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology sometime before September 12th of 2019, there would be other evidence. And that is what this uh, congressional investigation actually found. They found that Beijing sent um, Chinese Communist Party army officials, that would be the People's Liberation Army, um, people that specialized in biological weapons to manage the lab. Long before the World Health Organization had picked up on this leak, suddenly the Chinese Communist Party was setting high-ranking military officials to take over this lab. Um, this is what McCall said specifically. He said, when they realized what happened, Chinese Communist Party officials and scientists at the Wuhan lab began frantically covering up the leak, including taking their virus database offline in the middle of the night, this happened in September, and requesting more than $1 million for additional security. End quote. They also found that satellite imagery around the same time shows uh, more activity at the hospitals in the region nearby to the Wuhan lab than would be typical. So then, and this is perhaps my favorite part of the report given uh, the extensive coverage we have given to a man named Peter Daszak. You remember him, the man who has blocked me on Twitter for simply reporting that he, has pro that he procured grants from the NIH and subcontracted them to the bat lady at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I don't know why he would block me if he was innocent. I don't know why he would block me on Twitter if he didn't know that he was in the wrong here. Well, McCall says, Peter Daszak is the public face of a CCP disinformation campaign designed to suppress public discussion about a potential lab leak given the previously detailed inconsistencies and CCP disinformation campaign regarding a possible lab leak. Peter Daszak must be subpoenaed to appear before the House Foreign Affairs Committee and Senate Foreign Relations Committee as material witnesses to this investigation. End quote. This should surprise no one, but Peter Daszak has refused to voluntarily appear and voluntarily testify up until this point. So is a subpoena warranted? Oh yeah, I think so. Congressman McCall calls this the greatest cover-up in human history and that might be the understatement of the year. If only the Democrats cared even one iota about holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable for the pandemic that they unleashed on the world and then covered up. But the Democrats, of course, don't care. Now, we do have a lot more that we could cover, but unfortunately, the great and powerful Jay Hay says that we are out of time for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Before then, think for yourself. Use critical thought, reject critical theory, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant Editor, Michael Wall. Sound Mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-Production Manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. And Production Assistant, Mickey Pisani.
This has been a Soundfront production.